Well, are you glad to be in church? So last week I talked about uh, I talked about putting on the parachute of Jesus, and I know it was a little off the wall. It was a little strange, a little different. But you know, the the emphasis that I wanted to get across was that that we we have to be for one thing for one thing one thing that I wanted to get across is that. Um, because we fall short of God's righteous requirements, uh, if we don't measure up or meet those righteous requirements by hiding in Jesus, it's not going to be pretty in the end. Uh, amen? And if we rely on our hang up to those righteous requirements, it, it's not going to be pretty in the end. Now, I don't know when the end will come for you. Uh, I don't know, we don't know when the end will come for those around you. But, but in this way, what I'm saying is that the re- righteous requirements of God, as outlined in his word, as the Ten Commandments, uh, still have relevance for us today, and they might be one of the most critical means or uh, tools for our own sharing and evangelism. Because if we just use blessings as a hook... And some of us, uh, uh, no doubt, no doubt we have a blessed life. Joe just talked about a blessed life. But if we just use blessings as a hook, uh, many times people can look at somebody in the world and evaluate that they are uh, walking in a greater material blessing than we are who are now trying to encourage them to come into the kingdom. Hello, somebody? Because... Because man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. So oftentimes we measure blessings on what we see on the outside. So when we're sharing our faith with someone or trying to win somebody or lead somebody closer to God or to a relationship with God, if we're just using the hook of blessing, comfort, peace, joy alone, um, then it may not work for, for the true appeal to the heart. So this is why the word says in Romans chapter 3, let me put on the parachute fully. This is why, oh, I wore a jacket. This is not comfy. Um, uh, this is why uh, the word says in Romans chapter 3, Galatians chapter 4, you know, the word says in so many places that uh, we are shut up. That means even our mouth is shut up under the law, that the law is a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. It's a schoolmaster to lead us to faith, that the law is so powerful that it leaves all of us condemned. It leaves the whole world condemned, it says. This is Romans 3, I believe it's verse 19, that the law leaves the whole world condemned. So, uh, uh, when we realize that we're condemned, John 3.16, yes, God so loved the world. But John 3.17, hey, we were all condemned. Ephesians 2 verse 1, we were children of wrath. That means the wrath of God was shortly to be poured out upon us. Because, because we're identified, we were, we were knit to, identified with the demonic realm and the lifestyle and the principles of the demonic realm alienated and separated from God. And so we want to, we want to be, I'm just saying, this is, this is part of what we ourselves need to understand is that when we put on Christ as, as the parachute for this plane that someday is going to go down or we might have to jump off of this thing, when we put on Christ, 
We're also putting on preservation from the wrath that will come. So the, there's, there's more than one reason to come to Jesus. Yes, there's blessing. Yes, there's abundance. Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's peace. Yes, there's, yes, there's all of this stuff. Right? Yes. Yeah, I mean, this is, this, of all the churches, this is certainly the church that will not deny the goodness of God. But sometimes, sometimes the most important factor for us to remember and for us to allow the Lord to use us in as we are making the gospel attractive is that the good news is you don't have to be condemned and spend eternity with Satan and those who are knit to him. That you can come out of condemnation For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to deliver us out of condemnation. The condemnation because it's impossible for us to measure up to the law of God. The standard of righteousness and holiness. Amen? You believe it? Uh, And so then if the ride gets a little uncomfy, how many of you know when you put on Christ and I... I, I illustrated that by riding in an airplane with my parachute. Um, when you put on Christ, the ride can get a little uncomfy. Um, and so, you know, just kind of segueing into where we want to go today, uh, trying to do my best with a good segue. Amen. It's a good time for bumping someone with a good giggle. Um, Uh, we have to realize that that yes, the trip, the trip is uh, meant, and 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 there's promises meant of blessings uh, in the trip, but those blessings come to pass uh, as we embrace the heart of Jesus and live a selfless life. The blessings come as we identify with Jesus. The blessings come as we claim his identity as our own. How many of you know being saved or born again or born of the Spirit is just the beginning to the potential of the believer? It's just the beginning to the potential of the believer. And usually we are our own worst deterrent to the blessing of God because we stay too connected to the old nature. Just look at somebody right now and say, he's talking about me. Because you were tempted to think about your wife right there or somebody else. But, 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 but just say, he's talking about me. Usually the worst deterrent to the blessing, to the comfort, to the peace, to the joy, to those things that God has in mind for us because we've put on Jesus is because we ourselves stay too connected to the old nature. Too connected. And if we tell people that this is a life of blessing, peace, and prosperity without telling them how it comes to pass, it could be misleading. Because guess what? It comes through death. Resurrection always comes after death. So death to that sinful nature. Death to that sinful nature comes even moment by moment. Moment by moment, we're making decisions that identify with Jesus, that identify with love, that identify with mercy, that identify with compassion, that identify 
with purity, that identify with truth. How many of you know moment by moment? This is why Paul says we take every thought captive and bring those thoughts into the obedience of Christ. Amen? Yes? So the pathway to peace and blessing and prosperity is not just putting on the parachute of salvation, but is putting on the renewed mind, putting on the new creation, putting on the fruit of the Spirit. Third John 2, Beloved, I do pray that you prosper and that you are in health, even as your soul prospers. Is your soul prospering? We've got to make sure our soul is prospering. Mind, will, emotions, reasoning, imagination. Are we watching over our soul and making sure that our soul is prospering in the Word, according to the Word, under the leading of the Spirit, in cooperation with the Spirit, bringing forth fruit? You know, it's interesting. The gifts of the Spirit, any, any dingbat can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Any jackass can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Because all you've got to do is be, be simple enough to be used by God. This is why they're called the gifts of the Spirit. Right? If, you, if you're a baptized in the Holy Ghost believer, then you qualify to operate in or manifest or minister to somebody in the gifts of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit, you have to cultivate that. The fruit of the Spirit, the love, the joy, the peace, the patience. Guess what? That's a garden. You've got to work at that. You've got to subdue the flesh. You've got to take your thoughts captive. You've got to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. How come you're not shouting there? Come on, somebody. The fruit of the Spirit is an indication that you have been a good gardener. Now, this morning I want to talk about forgiveness a little bit. And I believe that this is a word for today and a word that God's put in my heart. And it really ties into the fruit of the Spirit. Long-suffering, patient, temperance, forbearance, meekness, gentleness, love. And I want to talk about this. And uh, I want to reach back into Joseph because we've been talking about Joseph a bunch. And so... I want to use him as our example today of talking about mercy and forgiveness. Mercy and forgiveness. Uh, Because I really believe this this word that I keep bringing to you, uh, and I just have to assume that God's bringing it to me. If God's bringing it to me, I keep bringing it to you, is that God doesn't need good to bring forth good. Aren't you glad? God doesn't need good to bring forth good. He can bring good out of the bad. Did you know when Satan steps in, when the enemy steps in and brings or works or accomplishes something disastrous, I was going to say dastardly, but that would sound like a cartoon I used to watch. Dastardly. When Satan steps in and works something terrible in your life, God... If we believe, everybody say, if we believe. Now say, if I believe. God can turn it into something good. Amen? Now we've said it takes faith for that. We've been talking about favor. We've been talking about the favor that was on Joseph for quite a while. And we've been talking about that, that it was his faith that enabled God to keep bringing good out of the bad. But today I also want to illustrate to you out of the word that it was also his forgiveness or his mercy. 
So this thing starts way back when Joseph has this dream. A dream, a dream in this perspective, a dream would be very much parallel or correlate for us to having a word from God. In this dream that he has, he has this dream, and in this dream, he sees his brothers and his mother and father bowing before him. And he's a young buck. He goes out and shares the dream. He tells him about the dream. And over the course of time, as he shares this dream with them, it promotes or provokes jealousy. How many do you think jealousy is of God? Just a couple of you. All right. Well, God is jealous, but... Jealous over our affection. Yeah? But in this case, this was not a holy jealousy. It provoked an unclean jealousy uh, and envy and, uh, uh, and bitterness and hatred, even a murderous spirit because they said, let's kill him. Here he comes with his lunch pail. Let's kill him. Okay? So they're, they're going to kill him, and then Reuben steps in and, and says, no, let's not do that. And so then they come up with this other idea, and they decide to throw him into a pit. You've heard the story. They decide to throw him into a pit, which we know means profit in training. Your pit, your pit is an indication that something great is in your life and that you are someone great in God, and your pit is meant to be a training ground for you. So they throw him into this pit and then they get this great idea. Here comes this caravan of Midianites and so they think, oh. And so they sell him, right? And so now he's thrown into a pit. Now he's, he's sold. And by the way, we're told later on in the chapters, we're told later on because he pulls a couple fast ones on them when they come down to Egypt for grain and, and we're told that he begged them. I mean, he wept. He was only about 17 years old. He wept and begged them not to do this, and they did it anyway. They followed through with their dastardly plan. However, they didn't kill him. They spared his life, and they sold him. So we know he goes down to uh, Egypt. Uh, They sell him and make a little bit of money on him. Uh, They sell him to Potiphar, and Potiphar puts him in the house, and God's favor is on him. Uh, But he's also skilled. He's also wise. He's also self-controlled. He's also smart. And he never forgets the dream. He never forgets the dream. Now we've preached on that a lot, not forgetting the dream. That is never forgetting the word. What is the word? Hide the word of God in your heart. Tuck the word of God. Hang on to the word. It's not just the logos, but it's the word of God over your life. It's the word that God's spoken to you. It's the word that God's dropped down into your spirit like a dream, like a vision, a rhema, a spoken word. Hang on to that. So he hangs on to that word. And we know it's not long that he's falsely accused. Uh, and this is over a period of 13 years that he goes for, from the Midianites to Potiphar's house, from Potiphar's house uh, to prison. And then uh, eventually, uh, eventually uh, it's made known to the Pharaoh that this young buck, who by now was like 29 years old, is able to interpret dreams. So he comes before the Pharaoh, and uh, pretty soon he's promoted and made Lord. At 30 years old, he becomes Lord over all of Egypt to oversee seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. So what's cool about this story, though, is that eventually uh, pops back in Canaan, Jacob, 
and all the boys, they run out of grain. They run out of food. The famine hits the whole earth. And, uh, and so they're like, well, we've heard there's grain down in Egypt. And so uh, dad, Jacob, Israel says, well, go on down there and see if you can get some grain for us. And so they show up. And when they show up, Joseph is overseeing the granaries and he recognizes them. There's the boys. But they don't have Benjamin, the younger one. And uh, so he begins to devise kind of a plan of connecting with them. But the cool thing that I want you to see is that he in his heart had already forgiven them. And I can't help but think that he forgave them a long time ago. And I can't help but think that it was his forgiving of them way back, way back, way back that was part of why God continued to press him forward into his destiny. God continued to use every setback for a comeback. God continued to press him forward into his destiny because in his heart of hearts, he was not holding this bitterness and this angst and this hatred against those brothers. So because of that, see, because of mercy, because he chose to forgive, and what's interesting, even when when he reveals himself to them, it's interesting he never requires their repentance. Now, we could mess with that all over the place, and and that might contradict what you've been taught psychologically and in your latest uh, health and wealth and mental wellness uh, schooling. Uh, But I want you to see this, and I want you to read it on your own, if you're willing, all throughout Genesis 41 through 48, that whole area there about Joseph. And I want you to see that he doesn't require their repentance. You know, we see David with an attitude like that, too. David knew that God was going to fight his fights. He didn't need to fight his own fights. See, God had said way back to Abram, and it was the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12, that I will be a father to you. He says, I will bless you, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. See, when we allow God to be our father, we don't have to fight all of our fights. Come on, just say that right now. I don't have to fight all my fights. Come on, say, I've got a daddy. He's got really big guns. He's got tanks. He's got armament. He's got equipment. He's got power. He's got angelic forces. I don't need to fight all my fights. Now let that be a revelation to you that you don't need to bring somebody in and get them to rub their nose down in their poo and you don't need to get them to repent and go on and on about how lousy they were. Hello, somebody. Mercy can be bigger than that. Mercy triumphs over justice. Mercy is more powerful than justice. So he's already made a decision. This is another thing we got to catch is he's made a decision. Everybody say decision. Most of us, when we pray a forgiveness prayer over some fellow person who's injured us, some horizontal relationship that needs to be patched up, most of us pray this silly religious prayer, Lord, help me forgive them. And the Lord's like, I already did. Come on now. 
I gave you my Holy Spirit. I've filled you with love. I've already forgiven you. Why are you praying that silly prayer? I can't help you as long as you waver between two decisions. Are you going to release them or not? Would you choose to or not? You are a sovereign being. You are in control of you. I'm not in control of you. My lordship over your life is only because you yield to me. Now, are you going to yield to me now and show them mercy? Or are you going to continue to talk like this silly person? Lord, help me to forgive them. I just, it's so hard, Lord. It's only hard because you haven't seen what forgiveness will do in the word. You haven't seen the power of forgiveness. You haven't seen the power of mercy. You haven't seen how your lack of forgiveness is actually destroying, harming your destiny because you've made them bigger than God. Did you know the person that injured you can be your idol? How could that be? Because you make them bigger than God. Because you have already declared and announced by not forgiving them that they're controlling your destiny. They ruined your destiny. They threw you off of course A and they threw you into course B. And you've empowered them to be a person who now is more powerful than God. And they've ruined your destiny and thrown you off the course of your future. So now you've made that person an idol. It's time that we forgive. It's time that we embrace the wisdom from above. It's time that we recognize that God is greater than any injury. God is greater than any injury. He's greater than any. Think about, I mean, we just, we got to think about the depth of this injury. Okay, we don't know how long uh, he had been mocked and made fun of. uh, And uh, can you handle a little rejection? You're going to take off your parachute when you get a little rejection? Hello? How long had he endured the rejection of his brothers? These are older brothers born from different mothers who now hate his guts. He was wearing the kick me sign on his back. You can be sure they tripped him along the path. You can be sure that they put uh, dill pickles uh, in his sandwiches, you can, you can be sure that, I don't know, something. You can be sure they put Vaseline on his toilet seat. You can be sure that, you can be sure there were frogs in his sleeping bag. You, you can be sure that there were all kinds of tricks and stupid things going on. Hello? It wasn't just the throwing in the pit, and it, and it wasn't just the separation of family, and it wasn't just the tearing off of his robe, this robe that was precious, this robe that indicated favor, this robe that was, this robe, uh, 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 we're told it was like this many-colored, but this special robe of royalty that they tore off of him when they sold him. It wasn't just, it was just, we're talking about, Massive rejection and abuse. Most of us can't even handle somebody not saying hi to us. Most of us are, we're willing to give up a word from God if we just have like a couple days of rejection from a close friend or our spouse. I mean, we're, we're just like, oh, my God. Ready to take off our parachute, throw in our salvation and, and go get a gun and shoot somebody. But vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay, 
Will we wait for the repayment of the Lord? Can we walk this thing out? Could you walk it out for 13 years? Could you walk something out for 13 years? Could you walk through something where, where not only are you separated from your family and the dad that you loved and the dad that treated you like you were the most special thing on the planet, you're separated from your family, you're, you face massive rejection. Do you think the Midianites treated him well? How do you treat slaves? Uh, you know, can you, can you, you see some of this stuff? It's unfolding for 13 years of false accusation and misuse. It wasn't just his brothers he had to forgive. He had to forgive those blasted Midianites that beat the pulp out of him, broke his nose, and tore out a couple of his hairs, and he's partially bald now, and whatever they did to him. And that, it's a good time to giggle right there. And, and And now he's got all of this abuse coming through Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife. And and then he's thrown into prison. And that, that couldn't have been a joyful experience. Before he went to a place of leadership in the prison, he had to endure all sorts of yuck in the prison. Our prison's fun. You ever heard of a fun prison? This was before the day of education and television. Happy cafeteria meals, meals with mystery meat. I mean, this is, this is before those days. This was, these were the olden days of Egypt's prisons. So he had a lot of forgiving to do along the way. Are you working with me? Are you working with me today? He had a lot of forgiving to do along the way. He, he could have been a victim he he had all sorts of he had all sorts of people of whom satan willfully willingly wonderfully used to throw him off the course of his destiny but i truly believe it wasn't just his faith that kept him moving forward i truly believe it was his heart of mercy his willingness to forgive And it was his heart of mercy and his willingness to forgive and let go that also caused him to continually walk in something about his countenance that set him apart. Come on, say it with me. I will continually forgive. I will forgive. I will be a forgiver. I will be merciful. Come on, you, you could look at your own life right now and say, I, have, I could be a victim of this and a victim of that, and then this person hurt me, that person wronged me, that person stole from me, this one betrayed me, this one didn't show up, and this one failed on a promise. You could just go on and make up your own Joseph list right now. How are you going to live, though? How are you going to live? How are you going to choose to live? Oh, 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 God. <laughs> Maybe. Help, help, help me, help me forgive them. Are we going to pray prayers of decision, decisive prayers? I choose to release them. I give this thing over to you, Father. I hand this debt to you, Father. 
I let you have this thing. I'm not going to hang on to this. I'm not meant to hold on to this. This is not meant for me. Father, you watch over this thing and use it to your good. Father, you leverage this thing for that dream that you gave me. You gave me a dream. You leverage this, this accusation. You leverage this injury. You leverage this betrayal. You leverage this abandonment. You leverage this theft. Father, you leverage it for the good. Satan meant it for bad. And the reason I say Satan meant it is because when we look at, when we look at the declaration that Joseph makes, he makes a declaration when he reveals himself to his brothers and he says, you know, don't be mad at yourselves. God sent me forward. God did this. So when we look at that, we also have to be careful about our theology because God is not the God of unclean jealousy. So it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't God moving on the brothers that caused them to sell and get all jealous and, and murderous. And it wasn't God moving on the Midianites that caused them to beat him up and then make a few bucks off of him as they sold him. And it wasn't that. It was, it was when you keep a right heart... When you keep a right heart, when you walk in mercy and faith and you marry those two together, then no man can stop your destiny. Then God intervenes and God uses even your setbacks to push you forward. Even what looks like a demotion becomes a promotion because you kept your heart right. I'm preaching better than you're shouting. That was better. I re- that was better. I release you to shout right now. I want to tell you one of the reasons why I think that Joseph changed or kept his heart pure before the Lord. Because before he ever met his brothers, um, before all of this unfolded, and right after, right after he reveals the dream to the Pharaoh, chapter 41, verse 50. The Pharaoh gave him a wife, by the way. Pharaoh gave him a wife. Uh, he had a couple kiddos with that wife. And uh, here's what it says, chapter 41, verse 50. Now, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. And, and Eseth. the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. They were born to him. And Joseph named the firstborn Manasseh, which means to forget. For he said, God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. And he named the second Ephraim, for he said, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. I, I want you to see something. See, you, you, you might even right now be in what you would consider to be the land of your affliction, and you're so consumed with evaluating, journaling about the land of your affliction that you have missed that God wants to make you fruitful in the land of your affliction. And you're so busy trying to get back to Canaan and you're so busy in your mind and you're so wrapped up in your own anxiety that you're missing that God wants to make you fruitful in the land of your affliction. Whoa. 
Come on, say it with me. God can make me fruitful in the land of my affliction. What's that mean? That means that some of the destinations you land at aren't even the destination you thought you would land at, but God promotes you in that land so that he makes even that land that you've landed at, not even the land that you wanted to land at, a land of promotion and blessing and favor and fruitfulness. And then God selects in that land of affliction the best of the land, which was Goshen, and says, here, why don't you dwell in the best of this land? Come on, will you receive that this morning? When he reveals himself to his brothers, chapter 45, verse 1, Joseph could not control himself before all who stood by him, and he cried, Have everyone go out from me. And so there was no man with him of Egypt when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer to me. And they came closer and he said, I am Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. You see this? God sent me. What? I thought it was jealousy. I thought it was hatred. I thought it was a murderous spirit. I thought it was evil. I thought it was, yes, but because his heart was right. He kept his heart right. He kept his heart right. He made choices that kept his heart right. He kept believing in the dream and he kept his heart right. A right heart. It wasn't just a right heart with God. That's righteousness. That's your vertical relationship, but your horizontal relationship, Jesus says your vertical relationship will be shut down if you shut down your horizontal relationship. Jesus says, as they ask, they said, teach us how to pray. And he says, well, pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, right? Forgive us our debts as, as. As we forgive our debtors, he links the relationship with the vertical to the horizontal. He links those two together. Your vertical relationship will shut down. The heavens will become brass if you stop showing compassion to your fellow man. This is a crazy thing. Joseph walked, Joseph walked with mercy. This is a crazy thing in God. And Jesus told them another parable about it in Matthew chapter 18. In Matthew chapter 18, 21 through 35, he tells about a man who owed a million dollar debt. Maybe it was 10 million. It was a debt so big that he couldn't pay. It starts in verse 21 of Matthew 18. A man owed this great, great debt to the master, to the Lord, to the king. And he couldn't pay it. And so he came like all of us want to come to God in legalism. And according to the law, he came and said, let me just work this thing off. But God knows you can't work this thing off. And so in the parable, in the story, the master says to him, uh, no. And so he forgives him. He shows him mercy. 
just because he's come and entreated, he shows him mercy. But it says he went out and he found a fellow servant, a friend, a peer, somebody else hanging out at Starbucks that owed him 10 bucks. And it says he grabbed him by the nap of the neck and he began to shake him. And he said, pay me back everything that you owe me. And he begins to shake him by the nap of the neck and he's demanding that he pay him back this debt. And he begs him to have mercy on him. And he would not and he had him thrown into prison. Well, a couple church members were hanging out at Starbucks that day as well. And they observed this situation and they went back to the Lord, the master, the king. And they said, you know that guy that owed you 10 mil? Yeah. We saw him down at Starbucks. We saw him and he grabbed his buddy who owed him 10 bucks. Now, now listen, listen, I don't mean to be trite and neither does the word. It might not be $10. It might mean, it might be something really great. Somebody's stolen from you. It could be something through abuse, through injury, through harm, through hurt, through betrayal. It could, be, it could be a pretty big debt. The point of this story is that the debt someone owes you does not compare to the debt that you owed Father. It doesn't matter what they've stolen from you. It does not compare to the debt that you owed Father. Not only that, but Father knows If you make yourself a victim of that debt, then that debt will stop your destiny. That debt will stop your destiny. So Father knows this. And so he's he's called in. He's called in. And here the, the story... I mean, this story is, is, is so powerful because it says that he's called in. I don't know if we're following along on the screens. We're welcome to uh, Matthew 18 if you want to see it out of the word, not the free Dwayne translation. But it says that he's called in and the Lord is angered. There's a righteous indignation with the master. And he says, shouldn't you have had mercy on him just as I had mercy on you? And then it says, because you refuse to, he's turned over to the torturers or the jailers or the prison keepers, depending on the translation you're reading, until he could make repayment. Now, I believe this happens in our own lives. In our own lives, we circumvent our future. We circumvent our destiny. We harm what God has called us to. We get on plan B because somebody messed us up, and we stay on plan B. We never get back over to plan A because we don't release them. Musicians, would you come and help me this morning? We're over here on plan B and we stay on plan B and we just get more bitter and more frustrated and more anxious and more disillusioned with God because I thought this was going to be a life of blessing. And sometimes it gets so bad we take our Jesus parachute off. We're like, I don't want anything to do with this. If this is the way it is, if this is religion, if this is the way it is, I get injured by religious people and now... Not only do they injure me down at that stupid place, but now on top of it, God doesn't even show up to rescue me. And so we're on the verge of pulling off 
our parachute, our putting on of Christ, our covering. And it's happening. It's happening not because we didn't have faith. We're people of faith. It's happening because we wouldn't release that person. We wouldn't let them go. We wouldn't voice we wouldn't voice our release. And listen, 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 listen. Not only do we make a choice to release a person because you are sovereign over you. Everybody say choice. But we state that decision with our mouth. You say, well, why, why in the world is it so important that we state that decision with our mouth? Well, because that debt that they brought against you, that injury, that harm, that abuse, that, that debt that they brought against you, brought forth an issuing of a promissory note in the heavenly realm and in the legal realm. They owe you something. fact is, you might come up to somebody and say, you owe me an apology. Why would you say to somebody, you owe me an apology? It's because what they did to you created a debt relationship and a promissory note has been issued of which they've refused to pay. A promissory note is actually a legal binding arrangement or agreement of which they refuse to pay on. And so in many ways, when you release them with your words, when you release them with your words and you turn that promissory note over to God, who is the best collection agent on the planet. Did you hear me? God is a good collection agent. You ever been called by collections? Oh, it is not fun. Ah. God knows how to make those phone calls just right. And so you release that to Father, and when you do it with your mouth, what you're doing is you're tearing up that relationship, that debt relationship between you and that person. And it will no longer exist. And there's a legal release in the spirit realm that frees you like a bird to soar. And all at once, God can grab you where you've been sabotaged, where you've been held up, where you've been on plan B. All at once, God can grab you and thrust you forward into your destiny. And you're thinking, hang on, hang on. I believed all along. I never forgot my dream. I believed all along. Yes, but it wasn't just your faith. You see that hatred, that animosity... That murderous thought, that revenge, it was an anchor to your faith. It was holding you from soaring with that dream, that word that God put in your heart. So he's saying, as soon as you let go of that thing, the heavenly scissors of the sky cut that anchor right off of your feet and you go right up into your destiny. Stand with me this morning. All across the auditorium, I want you to make this a prayer room right now. Make it a prayer room. Every head bowed, just in reverence before the Lord, every eye closed. Make it a prayer room. Make it a prayer room. I want you to think of that one, that one preeminent or predominant injury 
that revisits you and harasses you. Yes, it revisits and harasses you because there's demonic power tied to that injury and you're going to break that this morning. You're going to break that this morning. I want you, even while I'm talking, to begin to bring it to Father. Name the name of that person in whisper tones to Father and just begin to say for all that they did and I want you to recount to Father what they did and then I want you to say for all that they did I turn it over to you. I turn it over to you. I release it to you. I hand the debt note, the promissory note. I hand it to you. I hand it to you.